Um, with us, welcome for those of you guys who um, haven't been here in a while. Um, it's good to see you guys, new babies in the audience somewhere, and couples that were married and are now here again. Um, and so, yeah, we are in the middle, or maybe not middle, we are in a bunch of series. The series that we're in right now is Consumed in His Mission. And um, I'm going to pray for me. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, I need to get set up. Hold on a second. Stand. And it was the world on fire. 
everything was burning up. And I could see a door. And there were people who were kind of part of rescuing people and bringing them to the door. And you could see some people helping to clean others up. You could see some people just like pulling people and like, oh, let's go. And there was just a lot of different things happening, but everyone was heading for that door. And I felt like the Lord was saying, like, that's what we are doing while we're here. That we are indeed awaiting a fire. And it really is coming. And um, when we talk about our mission, apart from spending time with the Lord, there is work to do here on earth because there is a fire coming. Uh, let's open our Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3. Right and good will be there. 
So using this fire analogy or image that I got, and actually looking at this text. What I feel like life here on Earth is like, is all of us are heading toward this thing, this door. And there are a couple of ground rules. Okay. One, no one can go through the door through coercion. Everyone must go in by their own desire. You cannot force anyone else in there. You yourself get to walk in, and you can tell other people about it, but no one can force someone else through it. The whole earth is going to burn up. And the only people who get to walk through the door are the people who actually walk through the door. The only people who are going to be saved are going to be the ones who walk through the door. And the last thing is that how you get there does matter. Our mission on earth can be broken down up in a few different ways. There's a lot of different ways that the church historically has always articulated these things. Right? And last last week I, I I feel like the framework I'd like to use is pretty simple and pretty straightforward. It's first loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Right? And then two, loving your neighbor as yourself. I feel like almost everything on earth can kind of be, can fall, and everything missional can kind of fall in those two direct, those two categories. So in the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, I would probably put a lot of direct ministry in there. That's kind of your quiet time, your learning to love God, your staying in his presence, really getting a sense of who he is and I, I believe that part of our job and our effectiveness in, in how well we're going to carry out our mission here on earth is directly tied to that. This is also the part where I think, when I think about it, this is where we help people know him tangibly. This is where we go, we tell, right? The, 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 um, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of the nations, the going portion, the making disciples portion. But then the second category, the loving your neighbor as yourself category, is where I would put the bringing heaven to earth so that people can taste and see who God is. This is where our experience of justice lives and where the work of justice falls. I think in the, in, when I think about the way that the church works even today here on earth, I think there's a lot of people who will say the only thing that matters is that people get through the door. Let's just get people saved. And I think traditionally the evangelical church has emphasized, let's go, we'll share these spiritual laws, we'll get people saved. It doesn't actually matter how we do it. We can rape, we can pillage, we can destroy their land and make it happen through conquest or any way. But let's just get people to know who Jesus is. We'll just tell them that this is Jesus. This is what love looks like. And it doesn't look anything like love. But at the end of the day, we are still doing this thing. This is what matters. This is the only thing that matters. 
But the word of God says in James 2, you guys can open there, James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is this? In the same way, the faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Right? Those extremes. I'm going to do the God thing and you can go do the heaven on earth and go and do the stuff. We don't have to do the same thing. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Doesn't get any more real and physical than like actually putting your own child on the altar, right? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous but what they do and not by faith alone. That whole spectrum is pretty wide. It's pretty all-encompassing. We have to go. We have to tell people. We have to make disciples. We have to teach people how to live godly lives. People have to learn how to read the Bible. We need to steward our time in the prayer room. But at the same time, if in the process of doing that, we do not love and live our faith in accordance and consistency with who God actually is, we then nullify and invalidate our witness. First Corinthians 13 says, if we do all these things but we do not have love, we're like clanging cymbals. And that, I believe, is kind of what we see on the earth today in some ways. The church has spoken of love, but we have not necessarily lived or encompassed it. And we understand love as a theory. We can talk about love as a theory, but when we actually talk about what love really looks like in practicality, on an individual basis, relational basis, then on a group basis, and then on a societal basis, and then on a governmental basis, and then on a global basis, it's hard to actually understand that these things have implications on us and our attempts to share who Jesus is on a day-to-day, word-to-word basis. Because all of that is connected and intertwined. 
So when I think about the gospel, I think about there's the what. That's the telling. That's the Jesus part. And then there's the how. There's two components to this thing. The what matters. So if I'm going to be really, 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 really honest and very, very, like, it's not about compassion or not. The what, we do need to tell people. And the how, God's going to ask us about the how later. But if people don't ever get the what, it doesn't matter the how. Does that make sense? Yeah. But at the same time, if we do do the what, when we actually get to God for our second, or not second, but for him to kind of ask us, so how did you do when you were here on earth? Then he's going to ask, so how did you do it? Were you loving? And what did your love look like? When I conceive and conceptualize these two kind of spectrums, I think about the things that we're doing here on earth, and I'm starting to ask the Lord questions. So how do we make things here right? And I started thinking how wonderful it would be if we as a nation like, if you think about two people who get in an argument, right, what does it look like? What does reconciliation look like on a one-to-one person basis? The best ideal form is I acknowledge that I did something to you, and I say sorry. And then you, in the greatness and magnanimity, magnanimity of your heart, go, wow, I'm so thankful. I'm so glad you apologized. I can now reach this place where I can forgive you. We hug, we make up, we're friends again. What happens if someone doesn't say sorry? What happens if as we're running to the door because we know that a fire is coming, And we drag someone, and they didn't want to be dragged. (laughs) They didn't want to be hit. They didn't want to be called names. They did not appreciate the way that we interacted with them along the way. Then we have to stop. And I believe that we're at at a point in time in history where the church and the world is saying, we need to stop. There does need to be some acknowledgement that things have happened. And then we can keep going. Here's the tension that I'm feeling, though. Is that, let's say, our country does stop and say sorry and compensate those that they have wrongly dealt with. Let's say we change all the laws and all the rules. There's still so much that's not done. 
And I think in our church, part of the difficulty of the last season is that there are different people with values all along the spectrum. And everyone, there's some people who are like, this is really important that we address these things. We cannot go on. And then there's people like, no, but this other thing is happening. It doesn't matter that those things happen if we never get here. And so I feel like what we are witnessing is a moment in our climate where there's a lot of division. And I feel like a lot of times people want us here at the church to speak into politics and take sides and prescribe things. The reason we don't isn't because we don't have opinions. It's just that the ways that we see the solutions vary very greatly depending upon our strengths, our history, our own interaction with these topics, and how we see those things and how they can be solved, they vary. And I personally believe that what Jesus does is he says, despite the fact that we see these problems in a lot of different ways, despite the fact that we all do see some problem, but we don't necessarily agree on which ones are the most important, but because you guys can know who I am, we can at least have a place where we're all on common ground. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our common ground is that, is that we were all sinners and Christ died for us. I think the problem starts to arise when some of us feel like we're not on common ground and some of us know better. And that there's some people who are better or who know more. And so I feel like for us here in the body, in the church, right, there's work that us as the body do when we go out. But when we are here worshiping the Lord, the presence of God, what his presence does is it draws together, it unifies, it brings us to our most common place of wretchedness where we all really need Jesus the same. And, I, and when we forget that, we, it is really easy for us to step into a place where we can say, hey, but I know better the areas, the areas that I am going to reverse the, the effects of the fall matter more than the ways and the areas where you do. We all have, I've got it. I have figured this out and you all need to come alongside instead of we. We don't have it figured it out at all. None of us have it figured out. When I, I mean, this is just the two people, and we don't fight a lot, but we still are not the same, and we have to work through it. 
How much more does that happen on a global scale with 7.6 billion people and supposedly, I don't know what the real number is, 2 billion of those people who are supposedly Christians and could maybe access forgiveness in a way that the Bible prescribes. It's difficult. So how do we do it? We can only do it through God. The other thing I really, I feel like the Lord has been showing me about this is in the last days, the enemy, one of the biggest things the enemy is going to do is try to sow seeds of division. In the word it says that a kingdom divided cannot stand. What was really interesting, if you guys want, we can open to Genesis 11. Um, I was kind of meditating and I was asking the Lord, like, what was the deal with Babel, right? Like, what was the deal with the Tower of Babel? So for those of you guys who don't know, so the Tower of Babel, actually, I'll just read it. It's just easier. (laughs) Me paraphrasing. Um, Yeah, so let's go Genesis 11.1. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn, burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bit, bitumen for mortar. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. They have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. So a couple things to note here. God is the one who created culture and separated everyone. He knew that if we all had access and could talk to all each other, We would try to do things and become unified apart from him. And in our attempts to become unified apart from him, we would try to do life without him. Build a name for ourselves. I believe that in the last days, there is going to be a false move of unity. That's trying to create unity through compassion, unsanctified compassion, apart from God. But what God is saying is that there is real unity. The only true unity, the non-counterfeit version, is through Christ. That when we are saying things like, which I believe is at the heart of justice, let's bring heaven to earth. What and who is the central figure of heaven? It is God himself, the presence of God himself. So when we are praying, let's make 
earth just. Let's make earth right. Let's end suffering. Let's bring hope. The central figure of where all of that hope, prosperity of soul comes is through the presence of God. And so when the world says, look at all these things that are wrong, look at all the people, and look at the church who did it, wasn't the name of God so bad? Let's not want anything to do with that. Look at all of the ways that the church is so broken. It totally denies the truth of, why is the church so broken? Because I am so broken. Because I am in the church. And that's why Jesus came. And so if we can get back to that place, we can retain the place of unity. And that means I need God. And if I need God, then I can be changed and the world can be changed through our contact and oneness with him. Because otherwise we're building something like, remember the, 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 the image of us rushing through the door for the fire. We don't want to get too comfortable here. We are still rushing towards that door. And we have to fix things as we rush to that door. We will hurt one another. We cannot be surprised when other people hurt us. You, if you are going to decide to make your home here at this church, there will be some way that I will not, or Ryan will not, or someone here is going to say something, and it's going to tick you off a little bit, or, or it won't be done to the way that you think it could be done. We are going to disappoint you somehow. There is no, so I apologize in advance. I'm not excusing it. I'm just letting you know what's in our future. <laughs> and it's okay. There's a freedom that that's okay. Because... It's not contingent upon how well we do. The whole gospel is that in him we are sinners, but we are saved, and then he turns us into something great. But we have to remember where we start so that we're all on equal footing. And in that place, I believe, unity can start to happen. Where do all the disagreements in the body of Christ come It's once we leave that place, it's like, well, actually, we're doing this better. We have tongues. We have signs and wonders. And you just have the Bible. And then those people are like, but you don't know the Bible well enough. And then, right? And that's what it looks like there. But really, when we're here and we're worshiping and we're saying, Jesus, we need you. Oh, without you, I can't do this. We're all the same. In John 17, 23, it says, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The miracle is when the world can see that we're one. That is a testimony that God is real. 
But if it's a miracle, it's not going to happen for free or easily. It means we need him. And if we're really at war, if there was something that I could do, if I was to be planting seeds to try to get people to not win against me, it would try to make them fight. Try to make them see each other as different. The Spirit of God goes, man, I need my brother and my sister. The the way the enemy works is you go into a place, you like it for a little while, and then you start to go, I'm really different from them. They're really different from me. And starts to highlight all the ways that are true, we are different, but then makes them into bad things. And so I just... Today, I felt like the Lord was speaking just to highlight and to be aware of the places where we can be susceptible to those voices and where we oftentimes or can see that we've got a... We figured out in this area, we're pretty aware. We're pretty... We're doing real well. And I think that can happen with any church. Almost every church, someone goes in and they're like, man, we really know this area really well. And I think those are good things. But it's not a good thing when we start to go, but they don't. And that's why we can't be friends. (laughs) Okay. Let's stand. um... Did I do something funny? I heard laughter. Hmm? No, I'm just going to read a scripture. I'm going to read, actually, I did have a picture I wanted to show. I don't know if it um, will come up. Yay. So those those are my kids. Um, I feel like a picture is worth a thousand words. And as a mom, when my kids get along and they're helping each other, like in this picture, McKenna's trying to help Kylie sit. Because Kylie's having some trouble sitting. She's a little round. (laughs) And McKenna's checking in and being like, are you okay? And there's something that happens as a parent when your kids get along that is so different and then there's something that happens when your kids fight and I believe that God feels like that too that when he sees his beloved children working really hard to help each other to love each other to get along it does that whatever happened in you when you saw That happens in his heart, too, when we are able to love. So as you guys meditate upon the the picture of cute little helpless people who make more messes than they do good, helping each other, listen to this, Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, 
running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And so as we think about our mission, more than even the what, it's important also the how. So let's do this with humility and unity and love and remembering that there is no side. There's only one side. We're either on the side with God who cares that we're one or are on the side of the enemy. There is no like charismatic conservative side. There's no liberal progressive side with God. There's no blah, blah, blah side, Democrat, Republican side. There's like, are you on God's side or are you not on God's side? Okay. So, Father, I just thank you for who you are. not a complicated message, but it's a hard one to live. In our climate that wants us to see what's wrong and wants us to divide, Lord, we take a stand in the spirit and we choose to say that our battle's not between flesh and blood. It's not between other people. But Lord God, we want to get ourselves and those that we love out of harm's way before the fire comes so that when you establish a new heaven and new earth, we can be together. But I pray that you would help us do this well. Teach us in the ways that we have not done it well so that we can fix it and do it better. Make your presence in our lives so real that it's bigger than the things that we see all around us screaming at us all the time. May your presence keep us rooted and grounded in truth and heaven. May we respond to the presence, not to the sin. May we be people who are compelled from heaven and your heavenly compassion, not by the screams of the enemy, look at here, look at there. Pray that you would teach us how to move with you, with love, with gentleness, but with power and with the kingdom of heaven inside us. And as we await your second coming, would we honor you in the ways that we um, live our lives. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Suki. Thank you, Pastor Suki. Um, We're going to open up the altars. We're going to have per usual um, altar ministers here to pray with you, whether you want to respond to the topic or what Suki shared today, um, or if you want prayer for anything else. Um, But before we do that, there was just something I wanted to share, like as um, Suki was speaking. You guys can sit down, by the way. (laughs) Um, I kept hearing this question when Suki was speaking, where is is your hope or where do you place your hope? Um, 
And for me, it could be on the micro or the macro level, but I felt like what God was inviting me to explore, and maybe it's for some people here, is... Um, how do I say this? Essentially, it's, and it's, it's, it's not that certain issues or topics or things in the world don't matter. That's, that's not it. And it's not that things like government and policy and stuff, it's not that they don't matter. But it's like, where is our hope? Um, and I felt like God was saying, like, even on, like, I was thinking about marriage, um, right? And uh, something that I hear from people who are married is, like, if, if like, say, a wife puts her hope in her husband, uh, that's a dangerous thing to do. Because people will inevitably disappoint because none of us are God and none of us are perfect. Um, And so a healthy marriage has Christ at the center where it's like, you know, like, and it's not to say that you don't expect the best from the person, but it's so that you know that when the person fails, you won't be so disappointed that you can't forgive them. And I felt like God was saying that to me, like, Nancy, where is your hope? Like, if your hope is in a person or a thing, and it's not that those things, it's not that I don't expect or hope for the best. It's not that I desire, I don't, you know, it's not that I stop pursuing the best in that thing or that person or desiring justice. But it's like, if that thing fails, which it probably will because it's not the Lord, I'm not going to be offended at that thing or that person or the Lord. Yeah, and so I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, and if that's something that speaks to you, um, to, like, come and receive prayer or to just talk it out with someone and stuff like that, too. Um, yeah, so, yeah, we'll open up the altars. And a quick reminder before we close, too, we're having, if you're a member of the ARC, we're going to have our quarterly um, all-members meeting. So please stick around. We have, uh, it's our last all-members meeting of the year, and um, Pastor Suki and uh, staff, and everyone has a lot to share. So again, if you're a member, please stick around. We'll have food, I believe, as well. Um, and if you're a newcomer and you want to get connected, please see David Chu. David, if you're here, raise your hand or stand. I'm not sure if you're here. Uh, he's not here, but he'll probably be in the back somewhere. Um, or ask, come up and find me, and I'll show you where David is. So, uh, And if you want to go, and we'll be blessed and be released. Yeah, thank you.